0: Five rounds. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a July 4th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. to another episode in our series that focuses on sports related objects from the museum's collection. This series is dedicated to our current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. At six and a half feet tall and roughly 250 pounds, Jess Willard was one Kansan you didn't want to mess with. Just ask Jack Johnson. That's the man Willard crushed in 1915 to become the world heavyweight boxing champion join museum director Bob Keckeisen as he examines a set of boxing gloves and trunks worn by this remarkable boxer. Later we'll play another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Today we'll reveal the connection between the Emporia editor and the classic 1939 film Gone with the Wind. Did White coin the line, as God is my witness I'll never be hungry again? But first 45 Rounds.
1: Good afternoon, Bob. Good
0: afternoon, Bob. How are
2: you?
0: I'm good. Um, Today we're going to talk about some boxing gloves and boxing trunks uh, that were worn by Jess Willard, um, who was a boxing champion. Like I said, these objects belong to uh, to Willard. Uh, He was a professional boxer and uh, later a Wild West performer. Uh, what was Willard's connection to Kansas, and where did he learn boxing?
2: Well, Willard was uh, born in Pottawatomie County, uh, December 29th of 1881, and he grew up on a ranch and um, loved horses, loved being around horses, loved doing ranch work, so he you know, basically was a working cowboy during his teens and into his, into his adulthood, and um, this is according to a biographical sketch I read that was written by his grandson. Um, that's where he he uh, got a lot of his experience and kind of bulked up and built up, you know, working on the farm and working with horses. We're not certain exactly when or where he may have actually become interested in boxing, but he did travel the Midwest working on ranches and working with horses uh, through Texas and Oklahoma. And his grandson tells the story that it was while Willard was, quote, hanging around the Union Athletic Club in Oklahoma City that he saw his first Uh, real boxing match about 1910 and got hooked on that and you know with his size and skills thought he could do that so he began training and pretty quickly acquired some exhibition matches and i think had his first what you'd call professional fight in 1911 so really pretty quickly after he started training
0: so you said 1910 is when so he probably he may not even heard of boxing prior to no, he was Good. he was
2: pretty much a ranch hand and a cowboy, and really didn't become you know a, a professional fighter until he was close to thirty years old, which is pretty late.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: for uh, learning a new profession, especially as as violent and as physical a profession as uh, boxing is.
0: Do you think because he was? I mean, he was like six foot six and a half inches tall. Mm-hmm. He was a big guy. Do you think that that made him appealing to um, boxing? Advertisers, yeah, because he, he was he was a little bit of an
2: oddity. I mean, uh, I think to this day he's still the tallest uh, world heavyweight champion, uh, and you know at six six two, some some sources say two thirty, some say two forty five, but you know anyway you cut that, th- this is a big guy, yeah. and I think he was uh, big for the time. He was big for the boxing uh, sport. So yeah, he really did stand out. He he was unusual. He was an easy draw because it's like you know here's this this huge guy you're going to watch fight.
0: Mm-hmm. What? Uh, where, where did the sport of boxing evolve from?
2: Well, you know, Willard came to it late, <laughs> but uh, boxing itself has been around uh, probably as long as people have been around. There's uh, archaeological evidence that uh, indicates the Egyptians may have practiced some form of what we think of as boxing as early as 3000 B.C. and then... Boxing's mentioned in the Iliad, so there's you know some mention in Greek culture. Uh, it was included in the ancient Olympic games. You know, this is before the modern Olympics. I mean, back uh, you know BC, they were uh, Olympic games. In other words, boxing in there, and it's not just in the West either. There's um, uh, indications of boxing, what we would think of as boxing, mentioned in. Uh, Chinese culture as early as the 5th century. So it's it's been around for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. I assume they didn't always have the padded gloves and no, uh, shorts that, hiked up.
2: That that came along quite a bit later. In fact, uh, a lot of the Greeks uh, fought naked. So Wow. Uh, luck, luckily, uh, Jess Willard did not have to do that. Luckily, we don't have to watch that these days. But, uh, yeah, they, they came up with the, the gloves really not until probably the mid-19th century. Um you know, bare-knuckle fighting was kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we would think of as modern boxing, you know, in a ring, you know, a prescribed area and two guys standing up and just using their fists. That bare-knuckle fighting went on really until probably the mid-1860s. And you've got the, you know, what is called the Marcus, as a lot of people, the Marcus of Queensbury or the Marquis of Queensbury rules in 1867, which really kind of starts standardizing it. And gloves are introduced um Gloves made for longer fights because, you know, obviously bare knuckles, more violent, more uh, likely to knock someone out with a bare knuckle. The the Mm -hmm. gloves made it harder to knock someone out. So you started getting longer and longer fights. So the gloves weren't
0: necessarily a safety precaution. They were basically (laughs) to extend the (laughs) Well, no, they
2: actually were introduced as a safety precaution. But one of the, the, um, you know... Outgrowths of that is that you know you got longer fights, and with longer fights and gloves, you know people became strategy became a lot more important. So defense became almost as important as offense. You know, being able to slip a punch or sidestep a punch became almost as important as just being a bruiser, getting in there and, and slugging it out.
0: Jess Willard, at one time, he was nicknamed the Great White Hope. Uh, what does that mean? Well, this is
2: kind of an unfortunate uh, time in our. Uh, history when the Great White Hope meant just that. He was a white guy, uh, and he was uh, in a long succession of Great White Hopes that really grew out of the world. Che- the world heavyweight championship um, title was held by Jack Johnson, a black man. So this African American Jack Johnson held the heavyweight title from 1908 to 1915. And uh, because racism was so prevalent and because there were a lot of people that were upset that there was a black guy who was the world heavyweight champion and was, you know, besting anyone who came his way, um, people began looking for what they called the great white hope. So while Willard was referred to as the great white hope, he was one of several people that people that other folks thought, well, let's get a white guy, you know, that's going to be world heavyweight champion. So you get this, he's our, you know, he's going to be the hope of the white race and bring the world heavyweight championship back to white people you know like that mattered but uh, so he actually did become world heavyweight champion and defeated jack johnson in 1915 so willard um,
0: so he was the great white hope
2: he was the one that fulfilled you know a lot of people's wishes that's you know that that a black man not be heavyweight champion of the world
0: um after boxing willard uh he worked in wild west shows right yeah. Um what did he do in these shows?
2: Well, he worked for Buffalo Bill for a while. He did some boxing exhibitions. He worked um, for the like, yeah, the, the, world, Buff- the Buffalo Bill Wild West and I don't know that he actually was able to do any of his first love, which is working with horses and being a cowboy, but he did do some boxing matches from about 1916 to 1918 um working uh, with the Wild West shows he, he pretty much made his living Doing exhibition fighting After the, the Jack Johnson match Which was really uh, it, It's one of the classic boxing matches And even though today If you were to walk up to somebody on the street And say Jess Willard A lot of people may not have heard of them. They might have heard of Jack Johnson They might have heard of Jack Dempsey You know, some of the, some of the big early fighters But uh, Willard was incredibly famous at the time And his match against Jack Johnson For the heavyweight championship Was uh, April 5th of 1915 it was fought in Havana, Cuba, of all places.
0: And it was... This was apparently before the revolution, huh?
2: Yes. And it was scheduled, if you can believe this, it was scheduled for 45 rounds. What? Uh, Yeah, 45-round fight. Because they basically set it up to just fight until one of them won. You know, there wasn't going to be a decision. I mean, they they really set this up so there would be a knockout. Well, when they realized the fight was going to be that long... Uh, Willard's trainers and Willard himself realized that he was so much bigger than Johnson. Uh, Johnson was a Excellent fighter Was just a strategic fighter Was a great puncher Had a tremendous amount of speed And he could move around And that's, that's how he got his title And just, you know, whipping around people And being faster than they were um, Because this was going to be such a long fight And it's outside And it's in Cuba And it's 100 degrees uh, Willard basically just wore him out I mean, Willard's this big guy And he took punch after punch He slipped a lot of punches He took a lot of punches to his upper arms He blocked a lot of them And by most accounts Johnson was winning the fight Uh, through the first, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 rounds. But uh, Willard just wore him out. And Johnson admitted afterwards that that Willard fought a great strategic fight, that, you know, there was no, you know, uh, no conspiracy, no foul play involved. It was just that Willard, you know... uh, Bought a smart fight and wore him out, and essentially Johnson just punched himself out. And when Willard got an opening, he knocked him out in the twenty sixth round. And then Willard was heavyweight. Did you say twenty champ- sixth round. Twenty sixth round. Knocked him out in the twenty sixth round.
0: Uh,
2: and Willard held the world's heavyweight championship for the next four years until nineteen nineteen. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he was at the time he was he was very famous, and that's what really um, got him into the Wild West Show, and then later even into the movies.
0: So he did do film then? Yeah. Have have you ever seen any of his work?
2: I have not seen his work, and I'm not sure that it's readily available. He did what you would consider movies, probably two. um, The two that are are most often mentioned are one that he did in 1915. Actually, he was filmed in 1914 and released in 1915, so this is about the time that he was fighting uh, Jack Johnson, so he wasn't heavyweight champion yet, but... He'd come to the attention of some movie producers, and he did a boxing movie called Heart Punch.
0: Well, that doesn't A-G- sound good.
2: Yeah, it just sounds gruesome. <laughs> but uh, but it actually deals with. I think the the title comes from the fact that he's fighting be, uh, to get money because his little girl is sick. So it's kind of ah, one of these yes. melodramas where the. The wife, his wife does not want him to fight because you know he's she's afraid he's gonna get killed in the ring, but his daughter's sick, so he has to fight, you know, one of those things. But it's, it's evidently a one reel, short, silent, so uh didn't you know last that long. And then his actual what you would call feature film, it's still a silent film, was made in nineteen nineteen and is called The Challenge of Chance.
0: Ah, yes, the challenge uh, yeah, of chance.
2: Which is, you know, just a wonderful title. I have no idea what it means. Um his character is named Chance. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh,
0: I take it there was nobody else of record in these films? Like nobody no one
2: that I knew of. I think you'd have to be a tremendous silent movie buff to recognize any of these names. But interestingly, the challenge of Chance is a Western. So he kind of goes uh-huh. back to his roots, which I find kind of interesting. Here's this guy known as a boxer who really was a working cowboy before that. And in 1919, he makes the challenge of Chance. And he's a uh, uh, place a cowboy in that who's working for sort of a nefarious um, – Cattle rancher and who's trying to you know steal the young lady's uh, property and cattle away from her and he's working for the bad guy and comes to his senses and goes to rescue the girl and work for her and uh, I've not seen it so
0: like you said uh, Jess Willard was pretty popular particularly mm-hmm. in Kansas yep um, well there's a, there's sort of an urban legend in Kansas. That the town of Willard, Kansas, which is mm-hmm. is in northeast Kansas, it's not far from Topeka. Yep, um, That the town of Willard is named for Jess Willard. Can you confirm or deny this rumor?
2: I can deny that rumor because it's Aww. actually named for the rat who was the title character in the nineteen seventy one Bruce Davis and Ernest Borgnine movie Willard. <laughs> right? No, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Of course, that's that's not true. Uh, no, uh, as as much as people do think that Willard, Kansas, was named for Jess Willard because he was so famous, um, Willard was founded. The town of Willard was founded in 1887. Jess Willard was born in December of
0: 1881. Uh-huh. So, so, unless he was champion boxer,
2: no, unless he was the world's you know most famous you know five and a half year old, uh, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: Okay, okay, Bob. Well, yeah. thanks for uh, clearing that one up for us. Certainly, not pleasure. Right. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of you late. Welcome to another round of Six Degrees of William Allen
1: White. I'm Blair Tar, and joining me today is Museum Assistant Director Rebecca Martin
0: and Assistant Curator Merle Riedel. Hello. Merle, would you like to review last week's challenge and give us the solution? Sure. Last week's challenge was to connect uh, William L. White to Gone with the Wind. And the clue was Southern White Night. Okay, so it works like this. Uh, William Allen White knew Douglas Fairbanks. They met each other in 1922. Douglas Fairbanks started uh, United Artists, a film studio, uh, with D.W. Griffith. D.W. Griffith directed the 1915 film Birth of a Nation, which depicted Klan members as romanticized southern white knights. Margaret Mitchell drew inspiration from the film Birth of a Nation when she published her 1936 Pulitzer Prize-winning novel Gone with the Wind.
1: Wow. You did it in four degrees. That's awesome. I know. Amazing.
0: Thanks. Well, thanks, Merle. And now the next challenge. Rebecca, would you like to give it to us?
1: Yes. The next challenge is to connect William Allen White to Paris Hilton. Why? That's right. (laughs) Paris Hilton.
0: Highly relevant.
1: And... And I must say that we came up with this one on our own, didn't we, Merle? We thought, hey, let's, you know, let's see if we can do it. And we found it in, my gosh, five minutes, right. tops, right. tops. So those free museum passes are still sitting in my office. They have not yet expired. And I think somebody's got to find this one. And, you know, Paris comes from... I guess the clue would be Paris cl- comes from a long line of Hiltons. And so if you go back far enough, you're going to find a connection to William Allen somehow. True.
0: Maybe a connection between a certain BFF.
1: Oh, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Because we know William Allen White had lots of BFFs, and they were important people in high places. So, yeah, look for the BFF connection.
0: Well, I'm completely disgusted that there might be a con- connection, but all right, go ahead. <laughs> so, if you do want to win the tickets and you have a solution, you can email your solutions to podcast at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. So
1: darling, I just want to say.
0: That concludes episode 32, 45 rounds. This boxing equipment is held in the collection of the Kansas State Historical Society. Other sports-related objects from this podcast are currently featured in the exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. Think you can podcast better? Well, let me hear from you. If you have comments or questions about our podcast, email them to me at podcast at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. What was Evan Kwazniska wearing on June 20th, 1946? Some big baggy pants and a whole lot of town pride. Come back in two weeks when curator Laura Van Orsdale examines an amateur baseball uniform from Narca, Kansas. This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. So
1: I'm a shadow boxer, baby.